be seated. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you uh, for that grace that we've been singing about. And as we uh, continue to kind of uh, work through uh, the life of Jacob and everything uh, you want us to learn, I pray that we would uh, see Jesus in each and every text um, because he's there. He, he's on every page. So uh, we thank you. We thank you for that example. We, we thank you for that grace. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to uh, start out with a, a question, um, and I think it's an important question. Here, here's what it is. Is losing ever winning? Now, I, I get that we live in a winning-obsessed culture, but it's still worth considering. Is losing ever winning? Now, some of you know that Cheryl and I have uh, been uh, Michigan State fans. Really, I, I have in particular been my, the entirety of my life. Uh, and there have been years, in, in basketball in particular, I don't remember so much in football, but in basketball where we knew we had a really good team, not this year, but in years past, um, we knew we had a good year. I don't need to come up to me after church and tell me it's not this year. I know it's not this year. All right, so, um, and uh, we knew we had a good team and we were winning games. And all of a sudden, like January and February would hit after winning all these games and we'd have a series of just head-scratching losses, frustrating losses, um, losses that, that cause you to question your faith a little bit, right? Um, and what those losses did those years was they would expose a problem and they would expose a weakness that needed to be resolved. And what happened a couple of those years was after those losses, those teams went on to go to final fours. Because here's the truth. Sometimes losing really is winning. The first full-time job I had uh, in ministry was a church plant outside of Detroit, and it didn't go well. Um, and uh, the, the money became really tight really fast, and uh, people weren't coming as much as we wanted them to, and it just, it just was rough. And about nine months into the plant, uh, I ended up being laid off, or I ended up being laid off. And listen, you can know it's not your fault, and you can know you didn't do anything wrong, but it shakes your confidence whenever that happens. And uh, it shakes your belief in yourself. And so what I did in that day, uh, the moment I was laid off, is I went to my alma mater, uh, which was about an hour and a half away. And uh, I was just there talking to some of my professors and a mentor of mine. And they ended up revealing that they had a position open as an admissions counselor uh, at the school. And they kind of hired me on the spot. So I ended up being unemployed for about five hours. And while I worked into that job, uh, I got uh, in Lansing, I got involved in a local church. Eventually, I was hired by that local church. And sure enough, a couple years down the road, uh, I met Cheryl. I married her. And I can now see in that layoff moment, losing is sometimes winning because it drove me to another town where I started my family. I can remember, and Cheryl will tell you these stories as well, going through infertility and what a frustrating place that can be. And each month we would go through a treatment and we'd hope for pregnancy and it just wasn't happening. And I remember during that period of time, we felt like we were losing it was just one loss after another, and eventually God laid it on our heart to adopt, and we've adopted uh, two beautiful and incredible kids. And looking back on that infertility time now, I can see because of where God led us that losing really was winning. It, it was the catalyst. Losing was the catalyst to where God wanted us to be. So let me ask you again. In your life, when is losing been winning? Maybe you have your own story to tell. A breakup with a person that was really harsh and really terrible in the moment, but it led you to the spouse that you now have. 
a firing. That man just left you devastated, but eventually you landed in your dream job. A health scare that led you to, uh, to really to start taking your health seriously. And you're in the best health of your life because of that scare. Sometimes losing is winning. We've been following the life of Jacob the grabber. And he's tricked and stolen from multiple people in his life. And so we're going to uh, kind of look at this story now where Jacob is getting ready to meet up with his brother. He hasn't seen his brother that he kind of stole from in 20 years. And before he meets his brother, Jacob needs to learn to lose a little bit. He's, he's got to have some loss. And so we're going to look at this story from two angles. It's a very famous story where Jacob wrestles God. And uh, we're going to see how losing can at times lead to winning. Let me share this story with you. Uh, Genesis 32. That night, Jacob uh, got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When, he saw the, when, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, probably sounds familiar right, if you've been in this series, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place a Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So I want to talk to you for a minute about who this man is that Jacob's wrestling, all right? It's the immediate question that probably a lot of people have of what exactly is this wrestling match? Who is he? Who is he? And there's a couple theories uh, that related to this, as you might guess. The first is that he was wrestling a human being with like supernatural or godlike strength. Right? That's one option, and I tend to reject that idea because it's just not, you know, we just read it. It's not the feel of the story, right? Um, it doesn't appear to be a mere man, and there are ways that this could have been described to have described it as a mere man. Some say it was an angel. An angel from God uh, came down and wrestled with Jacob. And I kind of have a tendency to reject this theory as well because angels appear throughout the story. Just earlier in chapter 32, uh, angels appear in the story. So it seems likely it's not an angel because angels are mentioned all throughout the Genesis story. And it seems odd that the writer would now be coy about it being an angel, right? I think that the most likely answer is that this was God in human flesh in some capacity. Now, some have gone so far as to conclude that this was incarnate Jesus, that Jesus is like, hey, before I go to Mary and Joseph and, you know, live my life there, I want to go down and, you know, try to put the hurt on Jacob, right? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I don't know about that, but the text says, after all, that you've struggled with God and human, uh, humans, and certainly Jesus would fit into both those categories, he was God and he was human, uh, but I'm not sure I would exactly go that far. I don't know. It's possible that it was Jesus, but I do believe that this was God in human form because of how the story plays out. Now, it would appear that our boy Jacob was quite the tenacious fighter, 
right? If you believe that was God in human form, he, he was quite the fighter. And I can't say, are you surprised by it? I'm kind of not, right? As we've studied Jacob so far, he's tough and he's holding his own with essentially God in human flesh. Now, consider that statement just for a minute. As tough as Jacob, as conniving as Jacob has been, and you know he was not wrestling fair. There's no possible way, right? As tough as he is, as good of a wrestler as Jacob is, how likely does it sound to you that even Jacob would be able to defeat God in a wrestling match? When I was uh, growing up, I grew up uh, in the 1980s and 90s, and professional wrestling was kind of like at a high point. And I, like every uh, young boy during that day, I loved watching wrestling with my dad. Hulk Hogan and all of that sort of stuff. On one occasion, my dad and my grandpa actually took me to a wrestling match in Detroit, and uh, we drove over there and got to see it live. But often we would watch, watch this professional wrestling on TV, and then afterwards, my dad and I would goof around and we'd wrestle. Let me tell you about my dad. He was a Golden Glove champion, Vietnam War veteran. At the time, he weighed over 300 pounds, and he was tough. I was eight. <laughs> I was unbelievably skinny. On one occasion, let me tell you how skinny I was. On one occasion, my mom took me to the doctor because they could see my heart beating through my shirt. All right, that's how skinny I was, and she was disturbed by it. More often than not, when I wrestled my dad, I won. How? Well, you know how. He let me. I think that's clearly what's happening in this text. Jacob is winning because he's being allowed to win. He even seems to recognize it later in the text. He says, I'm going to name this place uh, this name because I saw God face to face. I wrestled God and my life was spared. He's not running around going, let me tell you, I got a leg up on God. Had him in a suplex that he couldn't get out of, right? No, no. He said, I saw God face to face and my life was spared. So I want to ask you, why would a God, why would God allow Jacob to get the best of him? Here's one theory. It's on the screen for you uh, from Kevin Walton that God works through an apparent position of weakness. On the face of it, God has been defeated. But in this display of weakness, his plans, not just for Jacob, but for his descendants have moved closer to fulfillment. The truth is, we often think about God moving in great power, right? When you consider the creation story, that God creates the sun and the moon and the stars with a single word. He creates human beings with a single, uh, with a single act of greatness. And it's a, the creation story in Genesis 1. It is a story of God's power and God's strength and God's might. When you consider the Exodus in the Old Testament, God's people are in slavery and God decides to flex his muscle uh, through Moses and he brings on plagues and, and later on in the story, he parts the Red Sea so that his people can pass safely through. It is an absolute God flex. It is God showing his strength. The story in Revelation, when Jesus returns, we love this story, that the first time he comes as kind of a helpless baby, but the second time he, when he returns, he comes with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and a tad two on his thigh that says king of kings and lord of lords and he comes to defeat sin and satan and death forever these are the dominant images we have of god they're images of power 
images of strength, images of control. And listen, these images are true. God is absolutely all-powerful. He's always in control. But sometimes in the scriptures, God works through perceived weakness to accomplish his will. There was a time where God put on human flesh and he came to earth. And he spent three years preaching and teaching and healing people and uh, discipling his followers. And then over time, this world turned on him. And they took him and they nailed him to a cross and they killed him and they buried him in a tomb. And we know the story, how it folds out, so we read it a certain way. But everyone that was watching this live, you know what they thought in that moment? Jesus lost. He wasn't strong enough. He was defeated. And sometimes losing is winning. And sometimes weakness is power and defeat leads to victory. Because what we know now that no one knew at the time was what was happening in this moment of perceived weakness while God himself hung on the cross. What was happening is he was paying for the sins of the entire world. Sometimes losing is winning. And what we know is happening in this story is that if you'll allow me this terminology, God's throwing the match. Right? And Jacob's stronger than God in a mess. I don't care what kind of moves he has. I got him in a full Nelson. No, I'm sorry, right? God's throwing the match. And he's doing it to teach Jacob a lesson that will change him for his entire life. This lesson that he learns eventually leads to a name change, Israel. Uh, it's the first mention of Israel in your scriptures. God forms this nation through this man that has been changed. A nation that will eventually lead to blessing for the entire world, a promise given to Abraham. A nation through whom Jesus will eventually come. Sometimes losing is winning. I want you to hold on to that for a minute. I want to consider this from Jacob's point of view here, Jacob's loss. And you might wonder, what exactly are you talking about? We just read this story. He wins. He, he, he defeats God in a wrestling match. And what I would say to you is, it certainly appears that Jacob won the wrestling match. And as we look back on Jacob's life, we can see a lot of these moments where, to be honest with you, it appears that he wins a lot. At the very beginning of the story, he tricks his brother into giving up his birthright. Later, he goes in, classy move while his dad is on his deathbed, and tricks his own father into giving him a blessing uh, while he's blind and near death. He ends up having to flee. He goes to his uncle Laban's house, and during that time, they are constantly trying to trick one another until the relationship completely dissolves. And over 20 years, Jacob gets wealthy and lots of stuff. You see it in the story. And you might be tempted to look at those stories and say to yourself, Jacob won. He's living the dream. Did he? He becomes alienated from his family. He's constantly looking behind his back in fear. It's affected his relationship with his heavenly father. What exactly has Jacob won? It's the person you know that has gotten incredibly wealthy in business, but boy, oh boy, it has come with a price. 
They have missed almost every single meaningful event in their family's life. And you might be tempted to look at them and go, they're the winners. They, they've won the jackpot. They have cars and house and vacations, but there is a growing resentment with the children. What exactly have they won? I remember watching a documentary about a pro athlete that uh, has won multiple championships. You can probably put together who it is. I'm not going to say their name because I don't feel like dealing with the emails. But um, there came a moment in this documentary. This, people tend to be very de- defensive of this athlete. Um, there came a moment in this documentary when they were interviewing his spouse. And I'll never forget watching the spouse say about her husband, there isn't anything he loves more than studying game film. He can go into the back room and he will spend hours and hours and hours studying game film. He loves it more than anything. And you can hear a voice kind of off camera going, well, he's got a wife, a beautiful wife, a couple of children. And she said, yeah, there isn't anything he loves more than studying game film. His family always knows that they're second or third or fourth or wherever they fall, and he's won a lot of games, multiple championships, and I would ask you, what exactly has he won? So in one way, kind of a worldly way, Jacob has won a ton. And here again, wrestling with God, he's got God in a suplex, a full Nelson, whatever it is, and he appears to be winning again. And at that moment, right when he appears to be winning again, God reaches out his index finger, touches Jacob's hip at the socket, and wrenches it, takes it out of its socket, and Jacob loses full mobility. He most likely walked with a limp for the rest of his life. So right when he's appearing to be on top, Right when it appears Jacob has done it again, right? He's winning again. He's uh, at the top of the mountain again. He's being successful again. That was the moment Jacob most needed to be reminded that God was in control and God was all powerful the entire time. And as we've studied the story, I think this right here today, this is the lesson our boy Jacob needed to learn. This is the lesson he needed to learn, to rely on God. Jacob, God is in control, and he's better at it than you. So Jacob, you don't have to control every situation. You don't have to control every person, which is what he's done for multiple chapters. You don't have to control every moment. You can sit back in peace knowing God is in control. So a lot of you, like me, you've been following this Ukraine-Russia story, and it's scary I feel like I've gone back in a time machine to my childhood, right? If you ever want to know kind of what my childhood was like in relation to this kind of Russian conflict, you should watch Rocky IV, right? Because I'm telling you, you watch Rocky IV and you're like, oh my goodness, like, like we're, not, we're not used to the tension, but that movie demonstrates the tension in a very real way. It, to the point where if you watched it five years ago, you're like, I'm not sure, this, this might be a little bit racist and inappropriate, I'm not sure, right? That's Rocky IV. But even in a chaotic story like that, in this, where where Russia and Ukraine, it's falling into chaos, it is important to remember today. God's in control. As you see the news cycle, as you read the stories, as you follow it on social media, I think our feelings about it should drive us to action where we're contributing to organizations that are working on the ground for Ukraine. But as we're reading, as we're seeing it as we're watching it 
our feelings shouldn't drive us to anxiety. Drive us to action, not anxiety. Because God's in control. Jacob, God is powerful. And he's better at that than you as well. He needed to be reminded uh, that, that God is in control and God is in charge and God is powerful in each and every situation. And so right when he has the upper hand, God disables him with a single touch. God took his hip out of its socket. And some of us, we just by, we naturally have controlling personalities. We want the control, we want the power, we want the decision making. And here's what we learn as we get older. It's all just an illusion. I think you learn that when you have kids, actually. I'm going to control this person. And then they turn four. It's like, how can I not control someone I'm teaching to use the potty? Right? I, I feel like I should be better at that. But, you know, um, it's all an illusion. God's the powerful one. And when we attempt to grab power from him, you know what it reads like? It reads like Jacob's story. When we attempt to grab the power, it reads like the last 10 chapters. Jacob, blessing comes from God. And he's better at it. Jacob has spent the last several chapters grabbing blessing, grabbing money whenever he can, and he desperately needs to learn this lesson. Blessing comes from God. And I love how the story plays out because I think it's actually an illustration that Jacob's finally learning this. He gets God in that full Nelson and, um, you know, God is essentially pretending, I think, to not be able to get free. And he's like, what, what do you want? And Jacob demands a blessing. He demands a blessing from God. I think he's finally starting to get it. Blessing comes from God. And the blessing he got was a name change. He'd no longer be Jacob the grabber. He'd be Israel from now on because he wrestled with God and with man and he overcame. Translation, he finally learned to trust God. And his blessing and his grace and his power. And so he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And I would imagine that, especially people that knew him before, I was like, what's going on with the limp, Jacob? What, what, what is the deal with that? And I wonder if Jacob would say, this limp came from the day that I won by losing. I lost my full mobility, but I gained trust in God. And it is through this loss that Israel becomes kind of an official thing. It's the law of first mention. It's through this loss that eventually the entire world would win through this loss. The entire world would win and we would receive Jesus through Israel. Some of you are in a place right now today. I think we've been in this place for a nation for a couple years where you would come in here today and you would say, it just feels like I'm losing. Again and again and again, it just feels like I'm losing. And you're frustrated. And I get it. I've had so many times in my life where it just felt like one loss after another. And here's what I would say to you this morning through this story. Please don't underestimate what God can do through losing. Don't underestimate what God can do in you and don't underestimate what God can do through you as you lose. I hope it's not discouraging to you. I know it's more fun to talk about winning. Believe me, having been a Michigan State fan for years and years, winning's more fun than whatever this garbage is happening this year, right? But winning, winning is more fun. 
But never, ever, ever underestimate what God can do through our losses. What God can do when we lose. Here's how Paul said it. Brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I mean, it's almost like the Apostle Paul who wrote this t- text is going out of his way to be a little bit mean, right? When I met you, not many of you were wise, <laughs> or had power or riches or were attractive in any way. Um, Paul, you don't need to point this out, right? By the world's standards, Paul is saying, Corinth, you were losers. But God used your perceived losses to shame the strong. And he's using you in your losses also in your victories, but we're talking about losses today. He's using you in your losses to redefine for this world what winning can actually look like. How many of you have had this experience in the last couple of weeks where you've had a rough day and you got like a bad review at work and the Starbucks barista got your order wrong and your kids have been in a foul mood and you think, man, life stinks right now. Nothing's going right. And you turn on the news and you see Ukraine. And you see people living their life under the threat of war. And when you watch it, if I can steal Paul's language here for a minute, as you watch it, it shames you a little bit. But also to steal Paul's language, it nullifies your previous feelings. You know what? My day just got better because I'm not living under those circumstances. And it changes your perspective on your day. This is what Paul is saying. God can do this. Can God do it through victories? Absolutely. When we're winning, and we've all been in those patterns as well, where it's like, man, one win after another, up and to the right, things are going well. God can do it through winning, but most often he does it through losing. He loves to do it in our losses. Because it's in our losses that people get to see our hope. Very clearly, they can see your hope. It's in your losses that they can see your joy. It's in your losses that they can see your peace. It's in your losses that they can see the grace that you so believe in. It's in your losses that maybe they can see for the first time in your loss that they have trusted in the wrong thing. Sometimes winning comes through losing. And I know winning is more fun. You don't need a preacher with a theological degree to teach you that, right? You came in here knowing that. I'd rather win than lose. Of course you would. But don't ever underestimate what God can do when you lose. So if you're here today and you're discouraged 
and it feels like one loss after another, and you really don't feel like Jacob at all, who had God in the full Nelson. You feel more like life has you in the full Nelson, right? And it just feels like one loss after another. Please, please, please. Don't underestimate what God can do in our losses. The way he can change us. The way he can make us new. The way he can communicate his gospel through your loss. It is amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And when he was on that cross, we know, because we get to read things in a backward way, uh, from end to beginning, we know what you accomplished on that cross. But to everybody standing at the foot of that cross that day, it was like, he lost. He was defeated. It's over. And we know that winning came through that perceived loss. Winning for us came through that perceived loss. Resurrection came through that perceived loss. And now our sins are forgiven. And we have the hope of eternal life and a relationship with you in this life and in the next because of that perceived loss. So for every person in this room right now that feels like it's just been a frustrating season of loss, discouraging season of loss, may we remember to never underestimate what you can do in in a loss. The life change you can bring. Jacob was never the same. He walked with a limp, but he was never the same because of what you accomplished on that day. And you can do that in our losses. May we remember it. May we trust in it. May we be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to remember that perceived loss right now as we receive communion. You find two cups stacked on top of each other. Um, One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is the moment that we've been talking about throughout the sermon of uh, the moment even beyond this story with Jacob where it's like, man, this is the moment where everyone thought Jesus lost. But it was just a perception. He didn't really lose. He was bringing about win after win after win, and we get to trust in him. So if you're here today and you're discouraged, I want you to remember resurrection always comes after crucifixion. It just always does. And so I want you to remember the hope that you have and remember to never underestimate what God can do through our losses. Let's receive, and then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll take it all together. His body given for you. His blood poured out. God, we thank you for your grace poured out to us through Jesus. May we remember it and live in it and be changed by it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you want to read ahead, um, I was uh, telling my Sunday school class this morning that Genesis 33, um, I think, is one of the more beautiful stories uh, told in Scripture uh, outside of several in the New Testament. Jacob and Esau are going to come together. It's been building up uh, to this in the text for quite a while. Um, Jacob's afraid. He's fearful. The last time he saw his brother, his brother wanted him dead. Um, And we're going to see a beautiful story of God's grace and reconciliation. So if you want to kind of read ahead in preparation, it reads really well, and it's a really well-told story. So Genesis 33 is where you'll find that. Let's go ahead and stand and sing one last song together, uh, and uh, 
leave here remembering that, of course, we often see God in our victories, but we never want to forget that a lot of times he's working also through our losses. And if you're in a period of discouragement right now, never underestimate what God can do. God bless you guys. Then I-